Good morning, brothers and sisters. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. Well, I would actually like to open right away with a word of prayer, so please join me. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, as I stand before your people, I pray that self will die. I pray that you will reign in my heart. I pray that your message will come from my lips, that they will not be my thoughts, they will not be my words, but it will be everything from you. I pray, dear Lord, that you will open the hearts of your people. Open my heart, dear Lord, to the things that you are trying to teach us. I pray that we will be responsive to the pleading of your spirit. These things I ask, I ask in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. How many of us have been keeping up with current events? The adversary of our souls has been very busy this year of 2015. And Satan knows he has but a short time. I want to go over a couple things. Title of our sermon, first of all, is Fruits or Foliage. Violation of the First Amendment. Now, I'm only going to touch on one of these. There are many of our amendments that have been violated. And uh, the first one I just want to address is hate speech. Prosecution in Montana to hatred, contempt, ridicule, degradation, or disgrace is criminally, criminally punishable unless it consists of true factual statements. This means that hatred, including opinions, are criminally punishable by law. And this is a direct violation of our First Amendment rights. Again, there are many uh, violations that have been taking place, but that's just one of them. Also, the Pope recommends Sunday keeping as part of global solution to heal our planet. Has anybody heard um, the Pope's encyclical or read anything of the Pope's encyclical? Please raise your hand. All right, I really encourage, I don't know if I'm actually going to read all of this, but this is all addressing actually the um, importance of Sunday. So he's talking about trying to keep and take care of the earth, and he's specifically addressing many things about Sunday as the answer. There have been many things, um, a lot of agitation of the Sunday issue, and we know that this is a sign of the times. All right, and I don't know how many of us have, oh, there we go. How many of us have heard of Jade Helm? All right, does anyone, we, we really need to be studying this out. We need to be looking at this. This is a serious issue. From July, well, it could potentially be a serious issue. From July 15th to September 15th, 2015, the U.S. Army Special Operations Command is conducting massive military drill in an area covering the entire American Southwest. This drill is undoubtedly one of the most frightening things to occur on American soil since the Civil War. And this may, um, one reason I think it's very important for us is because we know that we are the direct line of Satan's attack. Right? Because we are God's commandment-keeping people. So what things like this is Satan going to use in the times ahead? The next one, I don't think I need to say too much on. I think we all know what has taken place and the potential ramifications of this decision for our country. And here we have the Pope. All right? So the top Vatican advisor. And now you know it's a big deal when it is the top 
Vatican advisor Jeffrey Sachs says that when Pope Francis visits the United States in September, he will directly challenge the American idea of God-given rights embodied in the Declaration of Independence. Brothers and sisters, we have but a short time. And, uh, you know, after seeing these events, which are but a small few, can you not agree with me, brothers and sisters, that our Lord is coming very soon? But we know from the scriptures as well as from the spirit of prophecy that many things need to happen before we see our Lord coming in the clouds of glory. The things we see now are nothing compared to what will break upon this earth. Are we ready for a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation? Are we ready to lose our jobs, ready to not be able to buy food because we keep the Sabbath? Or thrown into prison because we refuse to keep a false Sabbath? Are we ready to be torn from our home, separated from family, and have every earthly tie cut off? Are we ready to trust wholly in the Lord? The devil and his agents have been very busy preparing for these great and final events. But what have you and I been doing to prepare? I'm asking about preparation specifically for the little time of trouble because when it comes to the big time of trouble, um, we will be leaving everything. And the only thing we'll be able to depend on is our God. It is important, though, to prepare for the little time of trouble. For one thing, we need to be following the councils, doing country living, and not dependent on society's structure. Just as an example, hypothetically, what if there wasn't food at the grocery store because of a disaster? or you couldn't buy or sell because of the Sunday law. What would you do? What would I do? The spirit of prophecy points out that country living is the answer to these problems that are soon to come. Not to mention how important it is to raise our children in the country. And I can say personally, this, moving in the country has been the biggest blessing to our family. Also, we need to be living out the health message that the Lord has given us so we may have clear minds to discern the truth from the error and healthy bodies that with God's blessing may be able to withstand things like the pestilence that will be upon the earth and many others. Have we been preparing for these things? But even greater than the temporal preparation we need to get through the little time of trouble, we need to be storing up our treasures in heaven instead of here on earth, casting down our idols at television, sports, movies, of which things distract our minds from heavenly things and give Satan further control over us. But also, our idols of big houses, fancy cars, clothes, shoes, and even food. All things, of all things that will burn up soon enough. But you may say, you know, Amanda, I have cast these things down. Well, praise God, he has given you the victory over those things. But what about the idol of self? Self needs to be given up to Jesus to be conquered. Self needs to die that Jesus may live and reign in our hearts. I want to read a little quote from Steps to Christ. Uh, the warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God, requires a struggle. That the soul, but the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. So even greater than being prepared to stand before these times ahead, are you and I ready to stand before our Lord without an intercessor? This leads me into our sermon today, and before I open, I would like to ask for another word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, 
We need you 100% in our lives. I pray once again that you will open our eyes. And I thank you for it. I pray that, Lord, these things are somewhat hard to preach. But I pray, Lord, that you, again, will make these words come out correctly. (laughs) And, Lord, prepare us for these times that are ahead. The things can be scary. But I pray, dear Lord, that you will have us place our confidence wholly in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just a little disclaimer. I see that they got a nice new clock, and probably to tell me when my time is almost up, but I may go a little past 12, but we didn't come here for food. We came to feast on the word of God. Amen? All right. Fruits or foliage? And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. That is Genesis 3, 7. It says that their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were no longer clothed, but clothed with what? This is why it gives some insight into this. The white robe of innocence was worn by our first parents when they were placed by God in Holy Eden. They lived in perfect conformity to the will of God. All their strength, or all the strength of their affections was given to their heavenly Father. A beautiful, soft light, the light of God, enshrouded the holy pair. This robe of light was a symbol of their spiritual garments, of heavenly innocence. Had they remained true to God, it would have ever continued to enshroud them. But when sin entered, they severed their connection with God, and the light that, they ha- that had encircled them departed. So their eyes were opened, and they knew that they had sinned and lost their precious covering. They were naked. She has another quote that says, The love and peace which had been theirs was gone, and in its place they felt a sense of sin, a dread of the future, nakedness of soul. So then what did they do? Naked and ashamed, they tried with their own efforts make themselves presentable before each other and before the Lord. They sewed, the Bible says, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Another quote. The robe of light which had enshrouded them now disappeared, and to supply its place they endeavored to fashion for themselves a covering, for they could not, while unclothed, meet the eye of God and holy angels. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says in Revelation 3.17, Nope, maybe I don't have it. Nope. Okay, the Bible says in Revelation 3.17 that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Are we trying to cover these things with the fig leaves of our own works? It didn't work for Adam and Eve. Even with their fig leaves, they still could not meet the eye of God and holy angels. So what is the solution? Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins, and clothe them. That is Genesis 3.21. And uh, let's see. I'm losing my spot. Here we go. All right. We know that the animal sacrifice that day represented Christ, who was the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. And that's Revelation 13.8. Just as Adam and Eve were clothed with a type of Christ, so we are to be clothed with the anti-type, clothed with the blood and righteousness of Christ. Oh, maybe. 
There we go. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes salve, that thou mayest see. This message is to us, the church of Laodicea, and it is Christ who counsels us to buy of him raiment. Let us take another look at this from a different angle and a little bit more in depth. We'll be looking at the next two sections together. Jesus curses the fig tree in Matthew 21, 18 through 20, and the barren fig tree found in Luke 13, 6 through 9. But first, I would like to talk about fruit. What is fruit? We are told in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Such, against such, it, there is no law. Brothers and sisters, are these fruits seen in your lives, and are they seen in mine? I'm not asking about what our church members see, if they see these things. I'm asking, what does our Father in heaven see in us? Does he see the image of his dear Son? Let me ask you something. I want you to look back to the beginning of the year. Do you look any, any different character-wise than you did six months ago? Are you growing in the graces of Christ? Have you day by day been surrendering yourself to him to be molded and changed by his spirit? Or are you sitting on the fence? Brothers and sisters, sitting on the fence is not an option. Revelation 3.15, Christ says to us, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We have fallen asleep, my friends, and we need to wake up. So the cursing of the fig tree in Matthew 21, 18 through 20. And let us read it. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus came upon the fig tree and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. Mrs. White uh, says in the Desire of Ages 581.4, The time of figs was not yet, but the orchard to which Jesus came, one tree appeared to be in advance of all others. It was already covered with leaves. It is the nature of the fig tree that before the leaves open, the growing fruit appears. Therefore, this tree in full leaf gave promise of well-developed fruit, but its appearance was deceptive. Upon searching its branches from the lowest bough to the topmost twig, Jesus found nothing but leaves. It was a mass of pretentious foliage and nothing more. We need to be asking ourselves and the Lord, am I covered with pretentious foliage of my own self-righteousness, own efforts, my own doing of good works? Am I doing good deeds that others may see them so that I may receive the praise? And even if they give the praise to God, do I on the inside 
take a little bit of the glory for myself? Am I just playing the role of my position in the church, acting out my duties, but doing so in my own power instead of the power of Christ dwelling in me through his spirit? Or am I covered with the righteousness of Christ? Because if I'm covered with Christ and his righteousness, fruit will just be a consequence or an evidence or an evidence of the fact. We need to ask ourselves, is the person that my church members see the same person that my spouse or other family members see? You know, I think we walk a fine line. I know in my own life, I want to do the will of God. I want to serve him. To have the fruits of the Spirit. I want to be loving, to have joy, peace, to be long-suffering, gentle, to have goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance in all things. So I have a desire, and I have even prayed about these things. And I would try to follow through with my own actions, but in my own strength. But what the Lord has been teaching me is that unless I give up my selfishness, unless I yield myself to him and admit that I can do nothing without him, and then by claiming his promises, it is then and only then that victory is gained. Only through Christ and his strength. Another quote. So there may be an apparent connection with Christ without a real union with him by faith. There may be an apparent connection. You may see me as connected with Christ, but what you may not have known is that over the last couple of years, I've been trying to do things in my own efforts, and the Lord has been opening my eyes to that. Is he opening yours? If that's an issue you struggle with. <laughs> A profession of religion places men in the church but the character and conduct show whether, whether they are in connection with Christ. And I think this is a big point, that it's not just, again, what our church members see and if we're connected with Christ. Is it a continual follow-through? Do the works that our church members see follow through in every area and aspect of our lives? So back to the fig tree. Um, what did Christ do when he found no fruit on the tree? He cursed the fig tree and it withered away. The warning is for all time. Christ act, Christ's act uh, in cursing the fig tree with his, which his own power had created stands as a warning to all churches and to all Christians. No one can live the law of God without ministering to others. But there are many who do not live out Christ's merciful, unselfish life. Some who think themselves excellent Christians do not understand what constitutes service for God. They plan and study to please themselves. They act only in reference to self. Time is of value to them only as they can gather for themselves. In all the affairs of life, this is their object. Not for others, but for themselves do they minister. God created them to live in a world where unselfish service must be performed. He designed them to help their fellow men in every possible way. But self is so large that they cannot see anything else. They are not in touch with humanity. Those who thus live for self are like the fig tree, which made every pretension but was fruitless. They observed the forms of worship without, but without repentance or faith. In profession, they honor the law of God, but obedience is lacking. They say but do not. In sentence pronounced, 
or in the sentence pronounced on the fig tree, Christ demonstrates how hateful in his eyes is the vain pretense. He declares that the open sinner is less guilty than he who professes to serve God but bears no fruit to his glory. Let us now turn to Luke uh, 3, 6 through 9. And that is where we will pick up with the next section. And it is on the screen. Sorry if I go a little fast. Let me know. Luke 13, 6 through 9. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this tree and found none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he, answer, and he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after, uh, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Increased care. Oop, I think I'm a couple slides behind. There we go. We're back on track. Increased care was given to the unfruitful tree. It was to have every advantage. But if it remained fruitless, nothing could save it from destruction. In the parable, the result of the gardener's work was not foretold. It depended upon the people to whom Christ's words were spoken. They were represented by the fruitless tree, and it rested with them to decide their own destiny. The reason I stand before you today preaching this sermon is because the Lord has been rebuking and chastening me. He has been opening my eyes to see my nakedness and my efforts to clothe myself. I do not believe that I am alone in this. It started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and so it continues with us. So brothers and sisters, what do we do? Please turn with me to John chapter 15, and we will start with verse 1 and go to verse 8. This is the answer to all of our problems. John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he, prune, or he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my works abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. Ye shall be, so shall ye be my disciples. Abide in me, and I in you. Abiding in Christ means a constant receiving of his Spirit a life of unreserved surrender to his service. The channel of communication must be open continually between man and his God. 
as the vine branch constantly draws the sap from the living vine, so are we to cling to Jesus and receive him by faith, the strength and perfection of his own character. Another quote from Mrs. White, uh, the life of the vine will be manifest in the fragrant fruit on the branches. He that abideth in me, said Jesus, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. When we live by faith on the Son of God, the fruits of the Spirit will be seen in our lives, and not one will be missing. Brothers and sisters, have your eyes been opened today? I don't, feel, I don't know if you feel as naked and helpless as I do, but I want to reassure you that it's a good thing. Because if we do not see that we have a need, how can we then take our need to Jesus? But let us take it to Jesus instead of trying to cover ourselves with the fig leaves of our own works and self-righteousness. You know, sometimes when the Lord shows me just how helpless I really am and how my righteousness really truly is as filthy rags, Satan comes and really tries to discourage me. That I am too sinful to be saved and how much I keep falling down. If Satan is doing that to you today, please say to Satan, I will arise and go to my Father. He will have mercy on me. Repent of your sins and claim his promises. These are just a couple that, that uh, I like to claim. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. That's Psalm 37:24. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 1:18. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. Let us praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Jesus is in the most holy place, interceding on our behalf. I want to close with a scripture. It looks like I'm even ahead of time. I must have plowed through it. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of unrighteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of unlawlessness, leading to more unlawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruits did you have when, uh, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And that's Romans six eighteen through 22. This 4th of July, let us not be thinking only of our independence as a country, but let us be thinking of our complete dependence on Christ. Let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, we're coming home. Father, we pray that you will cleanse us, forgive us of our sins, forgive us for our unrighteousness, forgive us for trying to close 
our unrighteousness with our own works. Lord, I pray that you will cover us with the righteousness and blood of Christ, your Son. I ask, Lord, that you will continue to, tra- to change us, to transform us, that, Lord, we may come home when you come to take us home. I ask, Father, that none of us will be standing outside of the heavenly city, looking in and wishing how we had made different decisions, wishing how we may have surrendered ourselves to you. Lord, let us live today and each day here forward as if we are living in the day of atonement because this is the day that we live in now. Please open our eyes to this, Father. We thank you so much for what you will do and we look forward to the end of the year we can, when we can look back to today and say, yes, the Lord has been changing me. Yes, I look different than I did on the 4th of July. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.